the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we hear the final message in a series called Peace in an Anxious World. As this is a game changer message when you develop the mindset of God's spirit instead of worrying about things on this earth. Pastor Sean will share how this perspective can reduce your level of anxiety and even help you help those around you. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. If you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. Today is part one of the message called, What Do You Think? Pastor Sean is starting off in Philippians chapter four. It's time for Reaching for Real Life. I want to go through and go back through some of the things that we've looked at, kind of the highlights of what we've talked about. We began with this idea that God knows we live in an anxious world, but has made a way for us to choose peace instead. The desire and the goal is peace, but we live in a world where anxiety is almost at epidemic levels, and it continues to grow, and it becomes a greater temptation and challenge each year, it seems. But God has made a different way, and he's made provision for us to choose peace instead. We saw that God created us body, soul, and spirit, and that freedom from anxiety will involve new habits in all three. There is a biological and physical aspect, and we can learn to do things that will help us in that. We can get help in that area. There is the issues of the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, and there are habits that we can take up that will will combat anxiety rather than multiplying it. And then, of course, there's the spirit. And I think that's where the real battle is won, when we connect with the very prince of peace. We learn that it's hard to find peace when you're enslaved by fear. Say no to fear was the challenge. And so many of us live in constant fear of one thing or another, and we saw that God didn't create us for that, and he made a way to set us free from fear. And then last week we learned one of the best ways to say no to anxiety is to say yes to community. Everything we've read and studied on anxiety involves, in one way or another, isolation. Anxiety kind of feeds and breeds off of isolation. And when we live in community, we build an automatic kind of help and a protection against going to the farther extremes of anxiety. Now, as we conclude the series, I want to elaborate on one of the areas that we discussed in week two, and that was the habits of the mind. I want to look at that are patterns of thought because so much of what happens with anxiety begins with how we think. And the Bible talks a lot about how we think. Remember the passage we looked at in week one? Philippians 4, 6 through 9 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. This is presented by the Apostle Paul as, as a command. Something comes from the Lord. Do not be anxious about anything. And instead, he says, by prayer and petition, 
with gratitude or thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he says this, and here's the promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The more I've read and studied on anxiety, this idea of the peace of God guarding our hearts and our minds is a compelling idea. And then he goes right into this, and I think we need to make note and pay attention that these are connected. He goes right into this idea of thinking, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, look at this, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This idea that you can choose to think in such a way that will cultivate peace instead of fueling anxiety. In fact, remember what he said in 2 Timothy 1.7? He said, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and what? Self-control. Self-control. We actually can kind of control where we focus our minds. That's what those verses declare. They suggest that we can, we can focus ourselves and we can dictate where our minds go. A few more passages that say to that, and I'm just going to mention them real quickly. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Proverbs 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then, of course, Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. One of the questions that comes to mind as we read those scriptures, well, how do I do that? Okay, I hear what the scripture says, how do I actually do that? Well, you remember I read from and shared a little bit of a book by Dr. J.P. Moreland. The book is called Finding Peace, or Finding Quiet, excuse me. The book is Finding Quiet, and it's an outstanding work. And it shares really of Dr. Moreland's own struggle with anxiety. Remember, he's a, he is a prolific author, professor, Christian leader, Christian thought leader, I mean, on a national, international level. But yet he struggled with anxiety. And this book unpacks his journey. And he devoured over 40 different books. He talked to experts. And he just made it a, a point of, of commitment to learn whatever he could about this issue that he wrestled with. And what he learned has helped all kinds of people. And from the book, he wrote this. He says, as I write this, this is June 10, 2017, this particular chapter. He says, a New York Times article was just posted online. The title of the article is, Prozac Nation is now the United States of Xanax. The article begins by quoting Sarah Fader, a 37-year-old social media consultant living in Brooklyn, New York. Fader herself has GAD, or GAD, or Generalized Anxiety Disorder. The same disorder I inherited. According to Fader, if you're a human being living in 2017 and you're not anxious, there's something wrong with you. The article goes on to note that as depression was to the 90s, we now have entered the new age of anxiety. Now, Fader's remarks were surely tongue-in-cheek, and depression is sadly still among us. But one thing seems certain. The very conditions of life in America make anxiety an inevitable epidemic. And as we learn from Nitin, it's not just America. It's all over the world. And that's the bad news. The good news is that, as I repeatedly said, Moreland shares, that change is possible if we go about it in the correct way. One of the most important things about each of us is our habits, thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that we do or have without choosing to do or have them, and often without even, even knowing that a habit is being triggered. 
And listen to what he says about anxiety. He says, anxiety is largely a habit wired or grooved into one's brain and nervous system that becomes activated when one encounters certain triggers. To minimize or get rid of anxiety, I've learned it is absolutely crucial that one recognizes bad, anxiety-producing habits and undertakes a training program that over time rids one of those bad habits and replaces them with good ones. If this is done correctly and for several months, and he says two to six months, one's brain and nervous system can literally change their structure and develop new grooves that constitute new anxiety-defeating habits. He then goes into a section on neuroplasticity, and he talks about the brain's ability to form new brain grooves. And we have the ability to train our brain in new habits. That's his point. Now, in the book, he shares some of the verses on our thought that we just shared. He shares them, and then he says this, and some of you, this will be comforting to know that a guy of of J.P. Moreland's stature said this. He said, now, while these Bible verses are clear and even wonderful, for years I found them very frustrating because no one told me how to follow them. From there, he goes and he presents the type of training that he'd been presented with and that he learned that can help people learn to deal with it, even change the way our brain habitually responds. He also says of this section of the book, this chapter, he says, if I had to pick a chapter in the book that is the most important, it would be this one, this training that he learned. He goes on and he presents what's called the four-step solution. Christian neuroscientist and UCLA professor Jeffrey Schwartz and psychiatrist Rebecca Gladding have provided a four-step practice. He says in his experience it actually works. He'd been practicing it that for more than two years, and it, he says it has ushered into my soul daily peace and joy while banishing almost all of my significant and inappropriate anxiety. And he says while the, their book... Schwartz and Gladding's book is written to general audiences, references regularly made to Christian teaching and the Holy Spirit. The four steps are a biblically rooted process. And he then, in his book, lists them and talks about them. And just to give you a brief insight into what they are, here are the four steps. It's relabeling, reframing, refocusing, and revaluing. Okay? Those are the four steps. Relabeling is identifying what's happening to me right now. These are simply damaging thoughts that stem from bad habits. They do not reflect reality. And he says, just recognizing, I'm doing it again. I'm going down that cycle. I'm getting into that same kind of Ferris wheel or, or merry-go-round of, of anxiety. And just that this is not rooted in reality. Then, after relabeling, he says reframing. And that's where you identify and classify your anxious thoughts for what they are. And he gives a list of common patterns of distorted thinking. For example, magnification. And if you were, you were sitting there, and all of a sudden you saw this one issue, and you then kind of go, it's everywhere. That's magnification. You're taking something that's one thing, a small thing, and it's making, oh, it's always, and it's everywhere. He says, you identify that that's what I'm doing. That's what reframing is all about. And this third one, he says, is so critical, it's called refocusing. And what he says at that point is very simple. He says, now stop and think about something else. He says, you literally stop, and you, you've identified it, you've kind of reframed it, and now you go and you do something completely different. Read, play a game, watch a movie, do a project, take a break. And don't go back to it until you can do it without any anxiety or feeling or emotion. And that's the fourth. It's revaluing. He says when it's safe, and you'll know it's safe because you don't get caught up in the anxiety again, 
when it's safe, go back and examine the process and the negative thought for what it was. The book is called Finding Quiet, and I encourage you, if you've struggled with anxiety, it's a good read. We had some here. I'm pretty sure we sold out, uh, but you can get it on Amazon, and it is a, a very important work. And one of the things he advocates through this process is not doing it alone. He talks about being constant with the Lord in prayer and asking the Lord to speak to you through the process and letting him participate. And this brings up a kind of a key idea that I want to focus on this morning. And that is that we are not alone in this fight. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message called, What Do You Think? It's in the series, Peace in an Anxious World, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your financial gift helps us radio ministry continue to help others just like you. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, what do you think? This is reaching for real life. We are not alone in this fight. It's one of the things that happens when you have anxiety, whether it's the small kind of anxiety that we all face, stress and just feeling a little anxious, or something more, a little more moderate where you maybe even have some physical manifestations or symptoms, or severe where you've been diagnosed. Wherever you are, the important thing to remember is we are not alone. And isolation is one of those things that kind of, kind of says, well, everybody else is doing just fine, and I'm the only one. We're not alone as far as we're the only one experiencing it. But more importantly, what Moreland is alluding to is we are not alone in that we have some supernatural help. Now, one of the verses we talked about is the, the one that says from 2 Corinthians 10 that we take every thought captive. That's a powerful idea. But I want us to look at that in its context. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have, look at this phrase, divine power. I want you to note that. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know what strongholds are. They're areas of our life that have become so, become so entrenched in our life, it feels like they have, they've kind of purchased real estate in our head and in our heart. Be things like anger, can be things like anxiety, fear, worry, can be things like lust. This, they're called strongholds. They can be spiritually motivated, spiritually rooted. The enemy of our souls, we've given him place and he's taken up residence in a certain area of our life and it seems we always give our mind over to that. 
There's a lot of reasons for a stronghold, but that's what we're talking about when we talk a stronghold. But the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, and they have divine power to destroy strongholds. It's a very important idea. He said, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's the context of that thought. Now, if you're trying to take every thought captive and it's in your own strength, in your own spirit, you're going you're to have mixed results and you're going to struggle. And ultimately, you're going to lose. But when we understand that simple phrase, we have divine power. See, we have a powerful ally in our quest to take every thought captive. We are not simply left to our own devices. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there with me. Romans 8, I'm going to read 5 through 8 because I want you to see this passage and I want us to kind of slowly think through this passage for a moment. Romans 8, 5 through 8. Scripture says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now he's talking, he's writing to believers. This is written to a group of believers at the church at Rome, the first century. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So you see these two opposites. The mind set on flesh. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Look at this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me pray for us before we go on. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that we would hear and understand what you want to say. Help us to understand your word and help us to listen and then give us the strength to follow in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. This idea of those who set their mind on the things of the spirit versus those who set their minds on the things of the flesh. And I want to suggest as we talk about this subject of anxiety, one of the challenges we have is I'm afraid 90% 90% of, our, 90% of the time, our mind is set on the flesh. Now understand something. I'm not talking about sin necessarily. When I talk about the flesh, I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about the world excluding the Spirit of God. I'm talking about that part of us that excludes the Spirit of God. And when you start thinking about live according to the flesh, it's all about my desires, my goals, my dreams, my ambitions, about what I can do in my strength with my resources. That's what the flesh is about. It's centered on me and mine. That's the flesh. The mindset on the flesh has a problem. And where it says the mindset on the flesh is death, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. And here's what I want to challenge you with. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. I want to suggest to you that a person who is not hostile to God, a person who's a believer, a person who loves Jesus and has said, I want to give my life to the Lord through Jesus Christ, can have their mind for a time set on the flesh. And that mind becomes hostile to God and his ways, even though the person isn't hostile to God. I may not be hostile, I may love Jesus, I may be thankful, but when I choose to set my mind on things of the flesh, that mind becomes hostile to God because it's the exact opposite. It's not interested in the things of God, it's not like it's necessarily trying to hurt the things of God, it's just 
doing its own thing. That mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. And I want us to see that it is possible for those of us who are Christ followers, and that's who he's writing to in Romans 8, to have those moments of where our mind is set on the spirit and we're experiencing the life and the peace that comes with that. But there are those other moments where we've chosen to allow our mind to be set on the flesh and we experience what comes from the mind set on the flesh. I mean, stop and think about it. Something as simple as our, our house, you know? I've got to live somewhere. I go and I choose to buy a house. Well, where am I going to buy a house? Well, I want it closest to my work, and I want it most practical, and I want a good investment. And I start going through all the decisions I'm going to make about my house. And if I'm going about it in the flesh, and again, I'm not saying this is sin, except that it's excluding God from the equation. It's not necessarily bad to have a house. It's not bad to just look at the location. It's not bad to any of that. The difference is when I set my mind on the spirit, I'm like, God, where do you want me to live? God, you know what you have for my life. God, I want this home. This is your home. I'm here for only a short time. I'm a steward. Everything I have is yours. So the mindset on the spirit understands that. says, God, I want this to be your home. I want it to be a place that's a refuge for people who come in where they experience your love and grace. I want this home to be something that blesses people. That's the mindset on the spirit. And so it's not like, well, I want to live here because it's convenient. Lord, where do you want me to live? Subtle difference. On externally, things may look exactly the same. I'm buying a house, using a realtor, going to a title company, doing all the same stuff. One is following the mind of the spirit. One is following the mind of the flesh. Same thing at work, my job. What makes me the most money? What advances my career? What do I need to do to get the job done, to get the deal closed, to get the project finished? Whatever I, I got to do, and I can just go and just go, and it, just the mind of the flesh, just saying, I just got to take care of whatever. Or I can have the mind of the spirit. God, what job do you want me to have? God, you've given me this job. I thank you. How do you want me to be your, your man or your woman around this place where I work? God, you've given me a team of people I work with. Help me to be an encouragement to them. Help me to help them become what you want them to be. Same thing. You're going to work doing the same job, but the mindset is totally different. How about with your kids? It's very easy for us because we've got the world that tells us and the, you know, the government's involved in it and how your kids got to do this, 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 and this, and this is what's good for your kids and this is what will lead to success for your kids. And so I got to check the boxes and get my kids through to jump through all the hoops so that they can be successful. And it's super easy to get your kids all the way through college and stop and go, I never stopped and asked what God's will was for them. He created them. He knows them better than anybody, including me. He knows the gifts they have. He knows his vision for their life. Did I ever stop and say, God, what is your assignment for them? How can I help them become what you created them to be? What educational opportunities do you want them to follow, Father? How can I help that as their parent and as your servant? You're doing the same things. You might be enrolling in school, and on the surface, it looks exactly the same, but the heart is totally different. One is in the flesh, because I'm just following what the experts say i got to do with my kids, and the other is I'm saying, Lord, what do you want done with my kids? How about when we come up with a crisis or a problem? Oh, my gosh, something's happened. I, I didn't look for this. I didn't expect this. Do I immediately go to what does the world say we should do? What do the experts say I should do? Let me get a consultant, and what kind of resources do I have? How can I fix the problem? Or do I say, Lord... You're the Lord. This didn't surprise you. How do you want me to respond to this? Lord, give me your wisdom. Help me to see what you're doing here. You might walk through the same process, but it's totally different. That's what I think we're talking about when we talk about living life in the flesh, setting our mind on things of the flesh versus setting our minds on things of the spirit. William H. Shannon is a Catholic scholar and author. And he wrote in Silence of Fire, he says this, he says, it's not enough that we behave better. We must come to see reality differently. 
We must learn to see the depth of things, not just reality at a superficial level. This, is especially, this especially means we need to see the non-separateness of the world from God and the oneness of all reality in God, the hidden ground of love in all that is. This is what he says about prayer. He says, prayer is a kind of corrective lens that does away with the distorted view of reality the story of your reality that for some mysterious reason seems to be my normal vision and it enables me to see what is as it really is. It's powerful. There's a reality that is bigger. And I think what Romans 8 really reveals as it pertains to our conversation about anxiety is the best way to cultivate peace in an anxious world is to set your mind on the spirit of peace. That's what he's really advocating. This mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The best way to cultivate peace in an anxious world is to set your mind on the spirit of peace. And I want to suggest that's a challenge for every single one of us, setting our minds on the spirit of peace. When every single day we've been raised, we've been trained and socialized just to kind of see what's in front of us, to kind of process with our brain and make a decision. And in the same way that Dr. Moreland talks about habits that will change the way we think so that we don't automatically take the habit of feeding into anxiety, I think there's a habit we need to develop where we can learn to think differently when we look at life and begin to say, wait a minute, what's the mindset on the spirit say? And we stop and consider. See, the best way to cultivate peace in an anxious world is to set your mind on the spirit of peace. A couple things that happen when we do that. A mindset on the spirit sees what God sees. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, Peace in an Anxious World, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email that this program blessed you or even better. Your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Please find the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.